Hey, my name is Josh Korak. I'm a mental health counselor in the Northern Colorado area. In this space, I get the chance to interview professionals in the field, talk about mental illness, self-care, and so much more. With this show, I ask you to join me in doing what one of my favorite philosophers, a Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh says, smile, breathe, and go slowly. This is Care with Korak. Welcome back to Care with Korak. Man, you guys are in for a treat today. Uh, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Brad Riley. A little bit about Brad. Brad Riley is an activist, an award-winning filmmaker, and media producer focused on cause-based projects. He is the founder of I Empathize, a human rights nonprofit whose mission is to empower youth to stay safe from exploitation. His work has garnered international attention and acknowledgments both in human rights strategies and media production by international film festivals, the Nobel Peace Prize Forum, and the United Nations, and and so much more. Uh, I got the chance to meet Brad when I volunteered to go to Mexico twice with I Empathize during early high school. With the help of Brad's organization, I Empathize, I had the opportunity to meet some of the survivors of the trafficking experiences we talk about in this episode. And to say it was life-changing, I think, would be um, truly an understatement. It was, um, gosh, it was just, uh, it was heartbreaking in, in so many ways and also inspiring um, to see how these survivors have um, adapted and overcome and, and just the resilience you can see through them. Uh, I think it played an important role uh, in my early childhood in developing me into the therapist and the man I am today. And gosh, I'm just forever grateful for the opportunity to have my eyes opened in that way, however difficult it may have been. Um, so I'm very grateful for you, Brad. In this episode, Brad and I get to talk about what human labor and sex trafficking actually is, how it impacts us on a global and local level. And what you can actually do to make a difference, because believe it or not, you can. There is something we can do to make a difference with this. Follow me at Josh Korak on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube for video clips, podcast previews, and more mental health content. Make sure to check out uh, I Empathize. I'll tag their, um, their socials in the bio below. And then, uh, yeah, if you're in a mental health crisis, please call 988 or go to your nearest emergency room. If you're from Colorado and are interested in scheduling a session, please reach out. Uh, my website is sojourncounselingco.com slash josh uh, or email me at josh at sojourncounselingco.com. Yeah, let's not waste any more time and get into this. This is Care with Korak with Brad Riley. Hey, Brad, welcome to the show. Hi, Josh. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad uh, we could get reconnected. It's been, man, I was like young when we first met. Because yeah. um, right how old is Tucker? Is Tucker the same age as me? Uh, yeah, he's, tw- well, he's 26. Okay, so I'm, I'm 24, so a few years older. Um, yeah. But we were about the same age. Yeah, so, um, yeah, man, it's been a while. It's been since Mexico, um, yeah. since I last saw you, so... 
Um, really glad you could take some time. I know you're super busy traveling everywhere, so I really appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule to talk with me and share um, a little bit about what you do with our audience. So, My pleasure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, why don't we just kind of jump in? Maybe just give us a little brief introduction about who you are and, and some of what you do. Absolutely. Well, hello, hello everyone. Uh, first of all, thank you, Josh, for having me and thank you for what you do and how you spend your days. Um, yeah, I, my, my name is Brad Riley and I have been a activist for about 30 years mm. in different uh, kind of formats and ways that I've uh, kind of uh, been able to see that manifest in my life. Uh, but my most recent iteration of my activism has been about a 15 year journey with the organization I Empathize. And I Empathize uh, started uh, through myself and a group of my very close friends and fellow activists who we were learning about uh, the issues of human trafficking. I've, I've worked in environments my entire life where I've had to in, uh, navigate exploitation mm. in people's lives. Uh, so I've always had this uh, anti-exploitation passion uh, for myself. The idea of someone even being bullied when I was a teenager used to drive me crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and when you look at human trafficking and exploitation, it is a massive, extreme, uh, horrific form of just taking advantage of someone weaker than you. Mm. Um, and and so that that still plays out in my life, you know, all these years later through this organization. And right. I empathize exists uh, to 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 empower youth to stay safe from exploitation and to equip adults who intersect with youth's lives to partner with youth to help them stay safe from exploitation mm. and be a part of that empowerment. And we do that in a lot of really creative ways. We, we focus on the nexus of empathy and exploitation and how those two things uh, can be in, work in the same space and where empathy can, can right. create a, a change uh, that is real and long lasting. And so we, we really do dive deep on those concepts and then we apply those concepts to the spaces where exploitation is happening. We can dive mm. into that a little bit more later. Yeah. Uh, but but we, we really just identify where exploitation is happening and we jump into that space and we partner with the people who are there, both youth and adults, to come up with solutions. And we usually do mm. that through some form of creative media um, tool that we build for the people to be able to capture that conversation. Yeah, that's so great. I'm wondering if we could just um, give some definitions to some of this, right? I know when I first heard about you guys and first got involved, I didn't even know this was a thing or like what it even yeah. was. And given I was in middle school, but yeah. Um, yeah. there may be some who just don't even recognize this as an issue. Can you help define like what is human trafficking in, in its broad sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've known about uh, exploitation for generations and generations and generations and generations and generations. We've known right. uh, about historical exploitation uh, all over the world. Uh, we've also known about um, historical slavery and what it means mm. for people to be in bondage and for systems and, and individuals who have those, those power structures where they can take advantage of vulnerable people groups or a vulnerable person. And that's really what human trafficking is. It's a modern day iteration 
of all of those things that we've seen our entire lives. The difference with today is, uh, you know, our technology is our friend and enemy, right? You know, we right. love technology. We're, we're having a conversation today based on technology. Mm -hmm. um, but the, in the same way, technology that has advanced the world has also advanced criminal enterprises. And it's given mm. uh, criminal activity a, a, a different kind of platform uh, that has right. caused this kind of exponential growth in the ability to exploit humanity. And mm. so we see uh, a lot happening with the internet, uh, being able to uh, feed the problem. People have access to things and the dark web, and there's, there's ways to be able to um, pull people in at a greater level than there ever has been before to, to th this type of exploitation. There's yeah. also a, a demand uh, for products and a demand for people, a demand for, for, for sexual activities, uh, the demand for products and the demand for sex creates a, a kind of buyer structure. And you've got mm. somebody out there who's answering to that demand. And sometimes that is done in a very legal way. We, we answer consumer demand, uh, in, in, in a, in a legal context. We also can answer consumer demand in illegal ways. And that's right. where we get uh, exploitation of labor. Uh, that's where we get the exploitation of, of uh, sex workers, the exploitation of, uh, uh, of any kind of services that are out there. There's even the exploitation of people for human organs. Uh, basically, mm. if there's something that's out there that we want and a human uh, can supply that there are other humans out there who will take advantage of those that are weak and force them into that situation. And, right. and that's a, that's a very wide and complex problem, but basically mm. human trafficking is this, it's the exploitation of a human being, uh, either for sex or for labor. And that is done through some form of force, fraud, or coercion. And the person who is being exploited, the person who is being used uh, by that scenario, doesn't get any pay, doesn't get anything back. Uh, they might get basic needs covered. They might get something that just keeps them there mm -hmm. so that they can continue to be used. But there's usually someone consuming that. And then there's usually someone who's brokering that deal. And the person in the middle is the trafficking victim. And right. that can look a, a lot of different ways. Uh, we, we know of sex trafficking where people who are like maybe a vulnerable youth or teenager who is out on the street or has come through foster care and they're, and, and they're, they're hungry. They're looking for food they're mm. looking for, for sur to, to survive. And, and that means that they're willing to make some pretty desperate decisions to survive. And there are people out there who will take advantage of that, say, well, if you'll do this and this and this for me, mm. then then I'll make sure that need is taken care of for you. And that scenario can play out uh, in labor trafficking situations all the way to sexual mm. exploitation. Right. And uh, and it happened. It's happening all over the world. It's happening with all ages. Uh, it's happening with all genders and it's happening in very unique situations localized. But it's also happening in some very transcendent ways globally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm curious, what role do like external factors such as like substances play a role in the victimization of sure. youth and adolescents and, and adults even? If you, you, there's a great infographic that we have on our website that you can go mm. to uh, in the about section and it, it kind of has a, 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 a large illustration that um, helps explain some of this. Yeah. And we use a lot of sociological kind of concepts and ideas. Um, and, and one of those approaches we talk about are pushes and pulls. There mm. are social pushes that push people into vulnerable places. And, and, and really it's, 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 it's nothing on their own that's putting them into vulnerability. Things happen. And so that could mean, let's, let's think about it from a, a, a group of people. Maybe, maybe it's a, a, a group of, of people who are living in a small community uh, in a part of the world mm. where there's a lot of racism that's involved and, mm. and, and they may not have access to the same thing uh, that the mainstream community has access to. And you'll see uh, criminal enterprises that will come in and take advantage of the needs of an entire community. And maybe all they're looking for, you know, it's just poverty. So they're looking for the same mm. needs that a person who is kind of vulnerable to those things might be. Right. And it could be a person. Um, but push factors can be all kinds of things. They can be poverty. It could be uh, a mm -hmm. war that's happening, like what's going on with Russia and Ukraine right now. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the, the infrastructure that is there to protect vulnerable people is now been decimated. And mm. there's been this disturbance there that the normal protective mechanisms are no longer available. And that happens with famines. That happens with a hurricane in Haiti, mm -hmm. anything that disrupts those structures and causes people to be more vulnerable. You will see exploiters and traffickers who will come into that right. and begin to look at how they can do that. Now, mm -hmm. think about that on a grand scale. The same thing happens in a home. If there mm -hmm. is some big disruptor in a home uh, and, and, and maybe there's some form of abuse that's going on. And then this kid comes out and to numb the abuse starts doing some drugs. Mm -hmm. and, and and trying to, you know, disassociate from the problem that's over there, they find themselves in a different problem. And then who who's supplying those drugs? Well, typically, uh, you know, human trafficking is, is a is is a kind of criminal enterprise type right. of, of crime. And usually if there's a gang or a cartel who's in the drug trade business and they're getting people in that often becomes a feeder for those people to become trafficked and mm. take them from selling drugs uh, to them uh, and, and, and use that to to exploit them into greater forms and different kinds of right. exploitation. Yeah, 100%. Then I mean, that have, just lines up. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, then you have the pull factor, which is mm. the push factor where someone's pushed into vulnerability, and then you've got a pull factor. That means that those traffickers and criminals who are out there, whether that's someone in Denver, uh, down on Colfax looking to exploit a vulnerable person, or whether that's a gang member in LA or Mexico City, or in Eastern Europe or Asia, wherever that might be, they're there ready to pull those vulnerable people down into right. that exploitation. But at the same, same time, there are people who are there who are looking to help individuals. Just because you're vulnerable to exploitation trafficking doesn't mean you'll get pulled in. Maybe you'll run into someone who's there to help you. And those mm. are positive pull factors who then say, hey, look, you're in a vulnerable situation. We're here to help. And right. that's really what I empathize does. We go into the neighborhood 
and then we define, okay, here's the, here's where the people are doing the exploitation, but here's where the good guys are. And, mm. and the truth is the good guys always outnumber the bad guys. You just got to empower the good guys. Yeah. You give the good guys the tools. They're in the same neighborhood. They're seeing the same vulnerabilities that the traffickers see. Mm. You just got to get in there at the nexus of all of that and cultivate an answer along with everyone who's involved. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much in that. I mean, I love the idea of the push and pull factors and looking at it from more of a sociological perspective. Um, and I definitely want to hear more about what you guys do with I empathize. I was just going to comment, like it just, it, you know, everything you're saying is just lining up with my own experiences with, uh, you know, working with you guys back when I was younger. And then also just my own research as a clinician. Um, you know, I just read the book, uh, oh gosh, renting Lacey. I'm not sure if you've had the chance to read that before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about human sex trafficking, um, specifically, it's it's a very interesting it's a, a like a personal narrative approach so they write it um through the lens of somebody who's being trafficked so it's very it's yeah. very intense very explicit but um very powerful at the same time and, and really highlights also some of those risk factors that you were just mentioning and you know things like poverty um homelessness runaway uh, especially when it comes to youth and um, and then also just substances i remember when we were down in mexico city for for my audience we uh, when I was in, gosh, middle school, I was able to partner with my church and um, I empathize partnered with our church. And we did a couple trips down to Mexico City to help work with orphanages down there, help work with different people, um, often people who were victimized and had been rescued from uh, sex trafficking or human trafficking of some sort. And man, I just remember those experiences so vividly still, um, yeah. you know, and just being able to sit and listen to these very young children. That's that's what was most heartbreaking and most uh, impactful to me is the, the age was often yeah. so young yeah. and, you know, hearing how they were often getting addicted to, you know, inhalants like glue. I remember glue was a big yeah. thing down there. You know, and so there's just so many different things. I'm I'm curious too, like what role does pornography play, especially as that continues to rise on the internet? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the exploitation of humans has existed before we had what we consider modern day pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to keep that in context that, that, you know, a lot of people might say, well, the reason why we have this problem is because pornography and things like that. Right, and just puts all the blame and, on there. Yeah, and that's not necessarily true. You can go to countries where pornography is not allowed. I mean, it's, mm. it's, it's filtered out of their internet systems. It's right. not allowed. It, you know, it's a very difficult thing to access. And in some of those situations, you have worse trafficking issues mm. in those communities than you do in some of the others. Um, but How interesting. what I would say at a, at a large scale is I, I, I tell people what pornography and other things like that uh, have the uh, ability to do is to create a super fuel on a problem that already exists. So mm. you've already got this kind of forest fire that that's out there. Um, and when you throw gasoline on that and you fuel that, it can just flame up in a way that it becomes far more uh, uncontrollable uh, than if it weren't there. And I think mm. pornography and other things like that. I mean, you know, it's not just pornography. It's the way, right. the, way the modern way we, we interact uh, between male and female in a sense of entitlement. Mm. Um, and so it, yeah. it's a lot of cultural um, yeah. entitlements that men have over women, mm. no matter how they get it, uh, they still, they want it. 
And, yeah. and so there's got to be a shift in the change that is far deep, deeper rooted than us reacting to, oh, this might be why it's happening. We got to go deep and deep and deep. Those are oftentimes mm. symptoms of the problem. And there's a deeper rooted issue that we right. address or it'll just perpetuate itself. Yeah. I mean, especially if something as big as human trafficking, like you said, I mean, this is a criminal enterprise, right? I mean, the trafficking business, do you know off the top of your head, like how much money that brings in? Well, you know, statistics are hard and, right. and, and there, there's a bunch of them out there. Um, and they evolve and change over the years. But, you know, it's pretty safe to say that human trafficking is one of the largest criminal enterprises in the mm. world. And we're yeah. talking uh, in some estimates that it's second only to drug trafficking. Um, mm. and, 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 it's, and it's very lucrative. Think about a drug dealer can sell a drug one time and then that, that, that product is gone and they have to rearrange. Right. But you can sell a human being for sex or labor over and over and over mm. and over and over again until you totally wear that person out and you dispose of them. Or they die. Is, and you keep right. doing whatever that means. Yeah. Whatever right. that means. Mm. So so it's it's uh, some would say it's a thirty billion dollar wow. business and one of the fastest growing criminal enterprises in the world. Wow. And that's, it's not just criminal enterprises. Number and organized crime. I mean, it, it, it's, 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 it's oftentimes family members and very small, mm. uh, uh, kind of, uh, uh, criminal interactions between people. Yeah. The trafficking victim knows very well. Hmm. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, you're mentioning, you know, this is just such a huge global epidemic, essentially. Um, how prevalent actually is it? Like what are, can again, statistics are hard. Do you have any numbers? Do you have a way for us to start to conceptualize how, you know, it's, it's worldwide, but yet, you know, we feel maybe so safe here in the United States. Yeah. How prevalent is this issue? I mean, it's, it's, it's prevalent everywhere. Any, it, it's all over the world, but just, let's just talk about the United States, you know, any, mm town of any significant size, you know, 30,000, 40, 50,000 people are going to have a, a trafficking issue and problem. I yeah. mean, we have communities in rural Texas where you have um, the trafficking of human beings and, and other forms of trafficking going on from Mexico all the way up to, say, Denver. And in that path, mm. you've got lots of things happening in, in little communities in West Texas that wouldn't think this would be a problem. I did, right. I did a project in Wichita, Kansas, where there's all kinds of human trafficking cases that they're dealing with in Wichita, Kansas, mm. so right in middle America. Of course, it's happening in Miami and New, New York and in Los Angeles and, you know, the big cities that we know mm. that happens in the big cities. Las Vegas. But it's also happening in our small community. Of course, Las Vegas. We do a yeah. lot of work in Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, because we even train casinos uh, on how to really respond to exploitation. Oh, wow. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So there, there's, that's happening, but, but it's also happening in, in rural communities and Native American communities. Um, it's happening, um, you know, any, any, like we, we were, we were working in the oil fields up in North Dakota for a while where there was a boom mm. and there were 30 to 40,000 men who had descended on a town of 8,000 people living in man camps, uh, working the oil fields. And, and here you have a tiny little town in North Dakota that suddenly was peaceful that now has a human, one of the biggest human trafficking problems in the United States for a while. 
Oh, wow. Um, and, and, you know, people say, oh, human trafficking happens at like the Super Bowl. Yes, that happens at the Super Bowl. But there were the same numbers of potential victims that were happening at the Super Bowl on a daily basis up in a tiny town in North Dakota because people saw the, the sex ratio imbalance of men to women and view that mm-hmm. as an opportunity to literally bring trafficking victims from Chicago yeah. and Minneapolis to this tiny town in North Dakota. So no one is involved. Wow. Right. I'm really glad you brought up the Super Bowl. That was actually one of my next questions because you, you know, from what I've studied and, and read up on, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, you hear that the Super Bowl is like one of the largest areas uh, or one of the largest events or however we want to say it, um, that brings in that human trafficking. Um, and then you, you hear how the government, whether it's like the CIA or the FBI or whoever it might be, yeah. will do these big raids and then they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll have some success with it. But then I, yeah. you know, I've read and it, they almost just kind of settle around that. Like, oh, we did a good job. And then it's like, okay, well, wait till next year kind of thing. Like, yeah. um, but there, but you know, with this one example of North Dakota, I mean, this is happening to that level on a daily basis. Yeah. On a daily basis to the same level, wow. one city might have a Super Bowl event. It, you know, mm. if you think about how a fisherman goes after fish, you know, there's a lake right? and and you've got like certain spots where the fish move. And if you talk to the locals, they're going, well, they're over here. It's over here. It's over here. And all throughout the year, it's moving around. And then the fishermen will go and then they'll, they'll get a certain kind of lure to attract that certain kind of fish in that type of year or the kind mm. of fish that they're going for. And that's kind of a, 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 a picture of what human trafficking ha- is. You've got your criminal networks, your exploiters, who are always looking for where they might find the most opportunity. And that could be Vegas on a regular basis. That's why Vegas right. is such a problem, because it's like a Super Bowl happening every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when, when a city has an event like a Super Bowl or a big, big convention, uh, then that that part of the lake becomes hot for a few days, and then traffickers will descend upon that area. And then when that leaves, they'll go to the next spot. So you'll find a lot of regional circuits that are happening, like in LA. A lot of times, traffickers will move their victims from Los Angeles, and then oh, we're going to have them in San Diego because something's happening there. Mm. We're going to move them to Oakland for this, and we're going to move them to 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 Vegas for this, and then back to LA again. And, and traffickers like to move their victims because if they put them in unfamiliar communities, then they, they, they're more disoriented and they rely even more on the trafficker uh, than they would in an area that they're familiar with. So, right. so it's always moving. It's always flexing. That's why the problem with the Super Bowl is everybody comes in for a week and, or two weeks or a month and does all this advocacy mm-hmm. and activism and work. And, and the problem isn't that they did that and left. The problem is right. that there's not enough infrastructure in place that they can pass the baton mm. over to the local uh, services that might be there or law right. enforcement isn't ready. You know, the law enforcement is at this scale and then suddenly they have one event where they should be five times that scale and they just don't have the ability to do it. And then everybody mm. leaves and you've got sometimes 200 victims identified and, and they don't know how to help 200 victims. There's not a system in place to help 200 victims. So suddenly 20 victims get help and 180, you know, suddenly kind of fall hmm. through the cracks again. So there's yeah. a lot of that kind of stuff that just happens. So it really takes 
a, a, a collaboration and a community of resources ranging from mm-hmm. people who can recognize it and report it to first responders who can engage it to then pass the baton to those who can help those in, in some kind of post uh, recovery, you know, of right. organization. Right. Because of all the trauma that just naturally comes with that. Right. Yeah. That's, that's where I've had some experience. That's a big team. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, man, you know, it just makes me think of, I've I've been fortunate to have encountered this maybe more than I should have, but, um, you know, I thinking back to the early days when I was down in Mexico with you guys and, um, I just, I never would have believed it if I didn't, you know, firsthand experience it, talk with these people. And then even now as, as a young adult, still pretty early on in my career, I've already had a handful of uh, clients coming in that I've been working with, whether that was in private practice setting, or I, w- I did a stint at a jail for the past year and a half up in Greeley, um, which, which is a, a bigger spot for, for trafficking as well. And so I, I worked with, um, man, several clients who came through and had had that experience. And man, it it almost just surprises me. I'm like, I'm just starting out and this is already so prevalent, right? Um, Man, what are are some opportunities that you guys with I Empathize uh, create to engage the general public to bring more awareness around this? We we think of it like a sales funnel. So Mm -hmm. we have at the top, we have all these outreach programs that we do mm. that just help us get into communities, help us educate communities, creates kind of a safe way. You can like go into the shallow end of the pool and kind of like, we don't want to push everybody in the deep end or they're like, no, 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 I don't want to help. I don't want to help. Right. We, help. we help people kind of understand that in a way that doesn't overwhelm them to the point that mm. they disengage. We want people to engage. Um, and we always, in, in our, we, we, we do a lot of films. We do a lot of multimedia exhibits and, and they're all edu- and, and educational type events. And when those mm. go into either, sometimes they go into high school, sometimes we're at a state capitol building, sometimes we're at a university, sometimes we're at a museum installation. You're, you know, we're just in anywhere somebody will take us, we'll go. Right. And, and so when we show up in those spaces, uh, we're, we're communicating the problem in a very real and relevant way uh, through storytelling. And we do that in a way that we're proud of, that that has some dignity to it. Um, and then we also equally in our exhibits, I mean, with a balanced message, uh, we we talk about answers and solutions. Mm. So if we, we we do kind of a call and response, if we create a a, a we cr- we talk about a bigger problem and we want to talk about a big solution, but if we're talking about a small problem, for example, one of our programs is with first responders. And right. so if you're a first responder, you can go through our programs and we will equip you on, on, on how to recognize a trafficking victim while you're on your first responder call. And then, and then we'll help you discern and identify what your protocols are and how you should respond. And so we'll give everybody the ability to recognize the problem and then in their context have a response to the problem. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that is also teaching empathy. So, you know, a lot of times first responders and, and folks like yourself are dealing with so much trauma that mm. it's easy to go, okay, I'm just going to get through this session with this person yeah. as best I can. And oftentimes we'll get numb and we'll miss some of the signs 
that maybe this is a trafficking victim or this mm -hmm. person's experiencing exploitation. So we'll help not only people see the problem, but we'll also give them kind of these emotional tools to be able to go, okay, this is heavy subject matter. I want to enter it in a way that's safe for the person I'm working with, that's safe for me, that's safe for the people around, uh, and, and then actually puts that victim as mm -hmm. priority, but still also, if possible, puts a bad person in jail. And yeah. so, you know, we're trying to equip people in that space to make that happen. So mm. one of the things that people can do to get involved is we, we do these big outreaches. So like, for example, this week, I have a team of guys who are at the largest fire uh, convention, uh, firefighters and first responder convention in the United States. They're there with an exhibit engaging all of these uh safety directors mm. and educators from fire departments all over the world all over the united states and so we're capturing that conversation with them with that exhibit what we're yeah. going to ask them to do is now take our materials that we've developed and go back to your fire department and equip your firefighters and your first responders mm. and your emts uh with some real uh in-depth training and then some actionable steps so, so, right. so we'll repeat that exact methodology in every space that we think is strategic to help mm. young people out. So that same thing I just described to you, if you are a school teacher or a social worker, we do the same thing. We have outreaches for your schools, outreaches for foster care, and then we have programs that once you get everyone on board to fight this issue, then we have an ongoing program that you can take mm. every kid that you work with through and it will help them recognize and respond to human trafficking in their own lives. And then mm. we do that with uh, right now, we just started a partnership with Cedar sinai Hospital. So that'll be with ER doctors and nurses oh, wow. uh, and personnel so that when when trauma victims come in, if there's a human trafficking person there, we'll help you better identify them if they come in. Uh, oftentimes, traffickers will need there, there's some abusive things that happen. Oftentimes they will send their victim into the, mm. into the ER for something and stay off in the background, but they, but they're in there. And oftentimes we'll have victims who will say, look, I was in the back of a EMT vehicle several times. Right. Recognize me. I was in an ER, you know, several times and no one knew that I was a trafficking victim. Uh, mm. that with law enforcement, law enforcement will have someone they pick up for a crime. Yeah. Who's doing that crime. Cause they're being coerced by a trafficker. But mm -hmm. really what's happening is that's part of their coercion and they're actually yeah. a trafficking victim. But the officers wore out, doesn't look for the deeper signs, mm. help that officer find those deeper signs and be able to go, oh, maybe there's something bigger here than what's just face value. And so yeah. we do that with the law enforcement space. We also do that with transportation with bus drivers and truck drivers through our partnership with Truckers Against Trafficking. We also do that with hotels and casinos. Uh, the Wynn Hotel and Casino is the only five-star resort casino in Vegas, and we train all of their employees on really? how to recognize and respond to human trafficking. Um, we do that with school mm. systems. Right now, we work in Los Angeles, uh, where with Los Angeles County Office of Education, we have a federal grant for Health and Human Services that has allowed two full-time employees with uh, with with uh, LA Office of Education to begin to develop programming in many many schools all throughout Los Angeles. So we're always looking to partner with people who are in the spaces. So if you're mm. saying what can people do and how can they get involved, they can host an exhibit, they can mm. host an outreach event.
They can gather their people together. And then from there, we begin to identify the people who work in all of those intersections. And if you're someone who says, well, I'm not a school teacher, but I want to make a difference. Well, are you in the PTA? We've had PTAs who have taken the mantle of getting our mm. program into their school and where teachers couldn't get it in and where faculty members couldn't get it in, the parents had more power and they were able to get the material into the school. And so, yeah. there's a, you know, we don't want people to just go, oh, there's nothing I can do about this issue. It, it's, 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 it, it, you know, mm. it's too far beyond me. Well, you can do things in your own home, but you can also do things in the workspace and the social space that make yeah. a lot of sense. A truck every UPS driver has to watch an I Empathize training film to be a UPS truck driver. Really? What that means is, yes, what that means is that you're, no one would have thought that a UPS driver could be, you know, someone out there fighting human trafficking, but they're going door to door. We're actually training garbage truck drivers in Florida starting this year. Because they're at every household and we're asking right. them to recognize and respond what's happening. So mm. there are so many creative ways to get involved when you know the red flags and the signs and you're seeing something every single day on a route that you're driving. Suddenly, you know what's not normal and what is normal. And when something's mm. not normal, you have the ability to make that decision. And a cop who's just driving by or someone else who's just driving by would never see that stuff happening the way you would. And so right. we just try to use that philosophy over and over again. Yeah. What kind of results are you seeing with all these programs that you guys do? We see great results. We, well, we, first of all, you know, we've had over 10 million online views of our material wow. and our content. You know, we work with, that's amazing. Nations. Brad. We work with, uh, we've, we've gotten accolades from Nobel peace prize forum. We've worked with, we wow. worked with the U, U, USC school of social work. Um, and so, you know, we have all of these kind of brands and, and, and people who are out there. And so to give a real number on where that's at is hard for us to do. <laughs> right. It's yeah. So widespread with stuff. But you're seeing the impact. But we're seeing the impact. For example, with yeah. the trucking program through, through Truckers Against Trafficking, who we mm. supply the media for uh, and the training for, uh, there's 3 million truck drivers on the road today. And over half of them have gone through the training which is wow. amazing. That's and, fantastic. And, we, and we've seen hundreds of recoveries just by truck drivers making calls. The last I checked, it was between six and 700 recoveries. Wow. Uh, just by drivers making a, a phone mm. call. So when we do that with social workers who are way more in the space, I mean, yeah, yeah the numbers are just big. We hear every day. Uh, mm. I mean, we, we did a simple little parent workshop uh, in Los Angeles not too long ago. And there was like 30 parents in the room. And the next thing you know, one parent went home and immediately identified their child as being trafficked by a boyfriend pimp who was pretending wow. to be a boyfriend to their daughter, but was actually pimping her out. Mm -hmm. Which is uh, pretty common, right? From what I've, I've read and heard uh, when it comes to trafficking youth, um, that's one common way to it be is. Pimped. If you, if you yeah. look at our website, we have what's called the five disguises and it really mm. explains that Josh, it talks about there's, mm. there's, there's a method. We have, I think a CNN special that you can just Google disguise okay. and it'll pop up. And it's a feature from one of our long beach classrooms where we're with uh, some kids in long mm. beach, but, but we talk about there's the pretender, someone who's pretending to be someone to you that you, that, that a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, father figure, 
We have the protector. You're out there vulnerable. I'll protect you. But in exchange for that, you're going to, there's going to be a price to pay. Uh, right. We have the, 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 the promiser who's promising you a better job and a better life. Come with mm. me, you know, from Wichita, let's go to Vegas. And I've got some great opportunities there. And then when they get there, they find themselves in a horrible situation. We've got, you know, all these methodologies that, uh, that, that traffickers use to manipulate their victims and mm-hmm. disguises. Usually a trafficker looks like someone that you can trust and help. And in the end, they're using that as a disguise to exploit you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, that's it's, it's amazing the kind of work you guys are doing. I, you know, something that came up for me is what would you say to people um, who are maybe like, you know, this is great, uh, but but this doesn't this doesn't happen where I'm at. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking right. of like where I live, right? In Broomfield and Boulder, like you just wouldn't yeah. expect it to maybe happen here. I wouldn't have expected it. Yeah. Um, what would you say to people like that? Yeah, well, talk to any law enforcement officer, mm. first responder who's out there who deals with this and folks like yourself, you know, you were in Cali yeah. and suddenly you're like, whoa, my caseloads. You know, it's an interesting yeah. thing. Like I, I, I there's a, a, a judge who was doing juvenile justice and, and her job was to deal with teen criminals. <laughs> Mm. And she just kept seeing over and over and over the same thing coming in, even to the point that there would be somebody kind of in the back of the courtroom manipulating this kid just by being wow. in the room, keeping yeah. them from saying things, you know, and she'd notice just all the fear. The yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so suddenly she began to look into it and realize, wow, I've been misidentifying these kids as criminals and they all are actually victims. Mm. And part of their victimization is that they are forced to do crimes, which then keeps them under the control of the trafficker saying, look, you've done all these things. I'll, 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 I'll report them or they'll, or, or, or they'll do all kinds of things to those right. teens to keep them from, from, from speaking out the truth. Yeah. So just if you talk to him, but here's an example in Denver, in Denver, when, when the FBI does a sweep, it's usually somewhere between 100 and 250 identified victims every time they mm. do that. And so that's just who they can find on the surface without going deep into what's really going on even behind the scenes. And so yeah. when you see those, those reports come out from the FBI, which they'll do a big, big press release once a year on the cities mm. that they go do stings in, and, and usually they're always, you know, in the 100 to 300 number for these things. Right. Um, when you see all of those, th- th- those are just scratching the surface. Mm. Um, but but, but uh, for us to think that it's not happening in Broomfield or in Boulder, um, that just simply means that, that we're uninformed. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I mean, there's just – there's so many – ways to just man approaches i'm curious like um when it something you brought up around you know there's law enforcement and the judicial system who are identifying these victims as criminals to what extent do the laws we have in place you know i'm thinking i'm thinking specifically like you know those who are trafficked into a prostitution type system yeah right where they're being prostituted prostitution is illegal right and so they'll often sometimes get picked up right charged with these crimes having to go to jail time um and it feels 
and and again, this is where I don't feel as informed, but it feels like maybe the law doesn't protect them as it should. No. Right? No, what what barriers do you see around that, like with the law and the judicial system? Yeah, there there are a lot of barriers because those are slow changes. Mm. Um, and that's really where that's where you do get systematic change. So we have to you have to play the long game, and then you have to work in the moment at the same time. So yeah. you got to have a long term strategy and a and an everyday strategy. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it, there was a time, and this still happens in certain states and communities where the laws mm -hmm. have changed, where the only way you could get a victim off the streets, even if you knew they were a trafficking victim, was to right. arrest them on something that they were doing. So that yeah. you could pull them out away from their trafficker, and then you would take them away. And then you would mm -hmm. say, we had to arrest you because that's how we could get to you. Right. Um, and then they start to explain, here's some help we can get for you. And there, there's yeah. some expungement that we can get for you. This that, won't go on your record. But that's yeah. all the post. It, there, there should be something on the on the front end that's different about mm. it. And we've been working on that in yeah. different states all across the U.S. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, an example I read in that book, Renting Lacey, where they arrested um, one of the youths being trafficked and prostituted. And the cop, like he recognized it. He's like, well, like at least they're off the street for a couple of days. Like right. if I can do that, if I can keep them alive, like it's by far not the best thing to do, but it's it's the only thing I can I do. I have to work right? with, yeah. yeah. So, so that reform has to change. You know, we don't mm. ever, you don't ever want somebody who's being victimized, the way that you intervene in their life is to arrest them. You know, yeah. we, we wouldn't do that in, in, in any other scenario, but somehow we, we just haven't had the power in our systems and structures of government to make that happen. And, and I think as we evolve and grow in this issue, those mm. are the things that have to change, but they're the things that are changing. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some 100%. Good best practices and there's certain states and cities that mm. have a breakthrough and, and, it, and, it, and it's like a really great pro progressive now new best practice. And then you'll start to see that be contagious and get picked up, you know, bit by bit. And so uh, really it is, that's why we go to DC a lot to leverage that. Yeah. And, you know, we can get into one attorney's general conference where we can share for one hour or bring the exhibit yeah. into their space. That's all 50 states that come back going, okay, we got to figure out how to solve this problem. Mm. Yeah. Hundred percent. I mean, man, uh, I'm definitely going to make sure to link your guys's info um, in my episode description. I really encourage my listeners go check it out. Like, there's so many good things that I empathize is doing, and so many good ways for you to get engaged and connected. Um, I really hate to have to cut this out early. I mean, we're going to have All to right, come man. back for a part two at some point or yeah, something. Let's but do part two. Let's yeah, do part two. Um, um, I always like to Josh. We encourage everybody to go to our website, mm. and now there are free general courses that you can sign up really that are the same type of courses that we do for industry that are back in the back end mm -hmm. you can get those for yourself now that's amazing audience please go check that out i mean it's it's really good it's impactful it can save somebody's life honestly yep, for right sure. and it has so it keeps doing it and it, it, and it has on, and it will yeah yeah yep. so why why wouldn't you right um, I always like to end it. What what would be some like last words of wisdom that you'd like to leave for my audience? Yeah, I, I would just say to everyone, these kinds of problems seem like they're almost impossible to deal with. And when you dive in and look at them, you, you, you want to turn away because the problem seems complex. Mm -hmm. My encouragement to you is let's go back to the firefighters. If there's a fire burning in a building, one firefighter can come with one tool and try to solve that problem, but will never put that fire out. But if you bring 
20 firefighters with the same tool. Yeah. You go to that same building, suddenly what was impossible becomes possible. And, and it's not changing your strategy. It's just getting more and more people on board to help. And if 100%. we can do that, we can change this problem. Well said, my friend. Thank you so much. It was really good to get reconnected. I know I'm, I'm ready to kind of get reengaged again, and I'm going to have to reach out to you and, and talk about some options and things awesome. like that. So um, appreciate your time. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Looking forward to part two. <laughs> Thank you.